0: custom. But uh, we are on assignment tonight. We are on an abbreviated schedule because we want to get to prayer. But I want to talk to you for a few moments about prayer and I'd like to read a verse from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. It's always a privilege to be with the West Palm Beach Church and my friends the Kyles. Amen. God is doing great things. Amen. Amen. And I'm glad you're here on a Wednesday night. I'm glad I'm not alone because I already know what I'm about to teach. So I could have saved the trip. Amen. So I'm glad you're here. Ephesians 3 and 20. Look at your neighbor say, "I'm I'm glad you're here. Ephesians 3 and 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in according to the power that worketh in according to the power that works in him us. I want to talk to you tonight for a little while on bringing heaven to earth through prayer. Lord Jesus, anoint your servant, anoint my lips. Let me speak your word with unction, understanding. Let me impart it to your people, Lord. We pray that you would meet with us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. When we talk about prayer, we often think that we are powerless and he is powerful, And God is indeed powerful, but we are not powerless. The Bible says, not according to the power that worketh in him, but the power that worketh in us, is how he is going to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think. Can someone say amen? Now, my dilemma tonight is that some of us are too proud. And when I preach on verses like that, it's easy to sort of get sent in the wrong direction because the Bible says in James 4 and 6, it says God resisteth. That word means God opposes. He's on the opposite team. He's on the opposite side of the proud. I I, I don't want to be against God. And I certainly don't want God to be against me. How many of you would agree? The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I want to receive grace. The Bible says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? Because if you don't humble yourselves, God has unique and painful ways of humbling you. Worse yet, God might not humble you at all, He might just oppose you. That's a, I don't know about you, but that's a scary thought. And yet, my, the scripture still says, That he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So I have to approach God with this balance of humility and yet understanding that I am not powerless in the face of an aggressive enemy. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 6 and 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So it is a recognition. I am humbled by the fact that I recognize that in my flesh I have no power, but in Christ all things are possible. To him that believes, can someone say amen? So is, there's this dynamic tension between approaching God in humility and yet approaching your enemy and the situations you face in the power of his might. I get answers to my prayer because Jesus said in Luke 24 and 49, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Our power source is in Christ, and that's why we've got to be connected. But here's where I want to focus tonight. In classic Pentecost, we emphasize on what we receive. We say, Have you received the Holy Ghost? Have you received the Holy Spirit? We make altar calls for people to receive the dunamis power of God. We we talk about fire and we talk about wind and we talk about the power of God on demonstration through the Holy Ghost. We emphasize what we receive instead of what is flowing out of us. God didn't give you the Holy Ghost just so that you could trap it inside of you. It is not as important. We are not to just get it in us and think the job is done. We emphasize the receiving, but there's not a lot of emphasis on the releasing. But yet my Bible says of the Holy Ghost, in John chapter 7, it says when the Holy Ghost comes, out of your belly shall flow. Out of, not just into, but Jesus didn't emphasize what was coming in, he emphasized what was coming out. He said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man. By the same token, you're not supposed to be celebrating what you've got bottled up inside you. What is really supposed to turn your Holy Ghost crank is what you are releasing into a lost and dying world. How do we release things? We release things... Beginning with prayer. Prayer is not the empty being filled. Prayer is God saying, I'm going to share my power with you, and since you already have it in you, let's get it out. Prayer is releasing the power of the Holy Spirit. It is creating a place of agreement on earth that will allow His will to be done in earth as it is in heaven. I said, prayer is creating a place of agreement that what is done in heaven can be done in earth. Can someone say amen? Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 19, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. And amongst those keys includes the authority to bind and to loose. And we get confused about what binding and loosing is. Jesus talked about it like keys. So, using that metaphor, binding is locking and loosing is unlocking. By your prayer, you are to bind certain things, you are to bind threats to your family to your house, to your marriage, to your finances. You are to bind the wiles and the snares, the traps of the enemy. You are to bind them in prayer. And in prayer, you are to unlock or loose certain things. You are to loose liberty. You are to loose uh, things in the spirit. Can someone say amen? Amen. When I pray for lost loved ones, I say, God, send your spirit right now and let them feel the effect of the prayer that I'm praying. Even if I'm not present, if I'm not there, if I can't be there, and miles separate us, the Bible says, you say, well, that sounds kind of weird. The Bible says Jesus sent his word and it healed them. Prayer is speaking the word of God and unlocking it and creating a little bit of heaven in your earth. Can someone say amen? Prayer is not railing about the hell that is around you. Prayer is releasing heaven. Can someone say amen? Let me just talk about a few myths about prayer, and you probably know some of these. Uh, I used to hear about the sweet hour of prayer, and... uh, that always meant early, like before the sun got up. Now, I genetically have always been a night owl, and the older I get, the earlier I get up now. I'm requiring very little sleep in my, on the second nine of my life. And, um, but it used to be that I would go until like 2 in the morning. So I would frequently, you know, if I had to be at work at 9, I would get up at 8. I taught myself to shower in about 5 minutes and then, you know, just grab a cup of coffee on the way out the door and, uh, you know, half-hour commute and still be there at the stroke of 9. Now, I'm not advocating that as a lifestyle. I'm just telling you that that's what I did, and it's because I was up so late and so you know when david talked about early will i rise and seek you that always just kind of just kind of struck me the wrong way and so my excuse used to be well that's old testament and i'm a new testament christian that was about the best i could come up with but there there is some old testament scripture that talks about praying early And I I think that generally that's a good idea because it sets the tone of your day. But there are times that you are not able for one reason or another to pray early and there's nothing more spiritual about 5 o'clock in the morning than there is at 5 o'clock at night. And furthermore, my Bible tells me that in Luke 18 and 1, it says men are always to pray and not to faint. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, it says to pray without ceasing. So I've come here to advise some of you night owls that prayer is not like a garage sale, that if you don't get there early, all the good stuff will be gone. But we are to live a lifestyle of prayer. We are to pray without ceasing. We are to pray anytime. Jesus said, pray often. Amen. Pray often. Pray always. Amen. We are to live a lifestyle of prayer. Another myth is that prayer. You know, and we don't like to talk about this in church because it doesn't sound spiritual, but there's a lot of people that believe that prayer is unimportant and unproductive. There's a lot of people that believe that prayer is unimportant and it's unproductive. And there's a lot of reasons for that, But uh, and I'm, I'm going to dispel some of those reasons, but listen, if Jesus who was God in flesh, prayed. If he thought it was important enough for himself to pray, then ought we not to follow his example? And Jesus, let me just advise you of this, Jesus didn't pray just to be our example. But the Bible says in the book of Psalms, unto thee shall all flesh come. Jesus was both God and man. And when Jesus stripped himself of his divinity, the Bible says that he was the man Christ Jesus. He was still dependent as a man, and I know this sounds weird, but he was still dependent as a man, as flesh, on the eternal spirit of God. He was As a man, he was as dependent on the spirit as we are. He had to pull heaven into his environment just like we do. Jesus said, what I hear my father say, that's the eternal spirit. Spirit of God, the man Christ Jesus said, what I heard my Father say in heaven, I am repeating on the earth. That's what we are supposed to do in prayer. We are supposed to hear a heavenly word and speak it in the earth. God said that my word will not go forth and return to me void, but it will prosper in the thing that it's planted, that's me. It will prosper. It will prosper in me and it will accomplish what I please. So we are to hear a heavenly word and speak it in the earth. Now what motivates us to pray? The first thing that motivates me to pray is that God is sovereign. See, because the enemy will tell you the reason that prayer is unproductive and unimportant is because in the final analysis, you, you ever notice that the devil quotes either scriptures out of context or he quotes partial scriptures? So when The voice that tells you God's sovereign, he's going to do what he's going to do anyway so you don't need to pray, that's the voice of the enemy. It's not the voice of God because he said you are always to pray. So he's not going to contradict himself. But here's here's the problem. The only thing more dangerous than a lie is a half-truth. Because it's got just enough truth to be believable. But it's got enough lie to deceive you. The truth is that God is sovereign. But as a result, that doesn't mean that we should not pray. Why should I pray? You quote the scripture and you say, he already knows my needs. But that's only half the scripture. It says he knows my needs before I pray, before I ask. So he didn't tell me he knows my needs, so don't bother asking, don't bother praying. He said he already knows your needs before you ask, but ask anyway because he is exceedingly and abundantly able to do above what you ask. What you ask is too small. He wants you to ask it anyway because that sets the bar for what he's going to do, which is exceedingly abundantly more. We think, well, God's in charge, and he already established everything until the end of time no matter what I do. Well, if that's the case, then why do some of you have a will? You establish a will so that after you die, you have a written statement of your wishes and desires. God has wishes and desires. There are two Greek words for will in the New Testament. The first word means wish, desire, or intention. And the second one means the predetermined moments that were established before the foundations of the world. The problem is we think everything is predetermined. And it's not. Take a look at 2 Peter 3 and 9. It says that, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God said, it is my will for everybody to come to repentance and be saved. That's my will. Let me ask you a question. Is everybody going to come to repentance? Repentance. Is everybody going to be saved? No. So God's will is that everybody come to repentance, that everybody be saved. But we know that when a person's will does not subject itself to the will of God, the outcome is not predetermined. And in earth, I wish I had time to teach some of the background of this, but you're going to have to catch it as best as you can. When God gave dominion to Adam in Genesis 1 and 26, he gave dominion to Adam in earth. God made Adam the authority in earth. Now there's coming a day that heaven, the glory of heaven is going to cover the earth, but that day is not here yet. So that means until that day, man is still in control of the earth. That means the will of man. God has a will for the earth. God has a will for you. God has a will for your family. And at the end of time, God's will is going to be performed. But until then, man's will can override God's will on earth. That may seem uncomfortable to some of you because it may conflict with your theology, but let me prove it to you according to the scripture. What God does in your life is not totally dependent on on his will. It's largely dependent on your will. How close you are to God God wants you to be as close to him. Jesus prayed. He said, God, I pray again. He's praying as flesh. I hope I don't have to qualify that every time. But as flesh, he's praying and he says, Father, I pray that they would be one even as we are one. That's how close God wants you to be to him. He wants you to be so close that you're inseparable. But how close you are is not up to God's will. It's up to your will. God's will is that your family would be a cohesive unit in proper order and structure. God wants, God's will is that in your family, love would reign supreme, forgiveness would be paramount. That's His will. But if that's, it's not up to his will. It's up to my will. You're getting quiet on me now. God's will, Hebrews eleven, was for you to be in church tonight. All of you. But there are several hundred brothers and sisters that are missing. Why is that? Because. It wasn't up to God's will. It was up to their will. In prayer, we determine how close to God we walk. Even though he is sovereign, it's our will. That's why when he taught us to pray, he said, Thy will be done. How many of you were going to say on earth? That's... Point number two, I'm going to get to that in a minute. Amen. He, his will tells us what he wants, but it's up to us to agree. Look at Jeremiah quickly Jeremiah 32 and 8. It, so it says, So Hanameel, mine uncle's son, it's been a long day and a couple of long days, so I'm a little tongue tied tonight because I'm tired. Forgive me. So and these old testament names aren't helping. So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came unto me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and he said unto me, By my field I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption everybody say the redemption. The redemption is thine, buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. You say, well, what does that have to do with prayer? Well, probably what happened was Jeremiah's father died. And his uncle purchased the property to help his sister-in-law, his, his, the widow, out. Now the uncle is old and Jeremiah's cousin says you have a right to the inheritance a right to redemption don't i don't want you to wait until my father's die until my father dies i want you to inherit it now by redeeming it and possess your land now we don't really understand what this means because this kind of goes with old english common law But in old English common law, there were two types of deeds. There was a sealed deed and there was an open deed. A sealed deed was in the family name. And I've seen sealed deeds. Now we call them restrictions. But I pastored a church that in the deed, it said that this property shall always be a church of a particular denomination. And it said, if this property is ever sold to other than a church, then a member of that church can come and buy, can redeem the deed back into the name of the church for the sum of one dollar. Interesting. There are old deeds that say this land belongs to the Costa family, and if it ever finds its way outside of the Costa family, a, j- a legitimate family member can redeem the land for the sum of a dollar. That's a sealed deed. Then there's something called an open deed. And that's a deed that could be sold. Now in in Judaism, in the Old Testament, on the year of Jubilee, the 50th year, whose ever name was on the sealed deed was the one that got the land, no matter whose name was on the open deed. So that means you might have enjoyed it for 49 years. But on the 50th year, it's still mine. Now you say, what on earth does this have to do with prayer? It has everything to do with it. Let me tell you why. Psalms 24 and 1 says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. But the enemy has convinced some of you that the devil is now in charge of the earth. And I'm just here to tell you, he may have an open deed, but there's an expiration and it comes in the year of Jubilee with the sound of the trumpet when the one whose name is on the deed says now are the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. Can someone say amen? Revelations 5 and 4. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof to the world that looks like catastrophe and disaster. But when you're a child of faith, that's just God saying I'm about ready to wrap this up and everything that is mine lawfully and rightfully is about to return to the creator and the enemy is about to be evicted I'm here to tell you that you're a child of God you're a child of God your name is written in the Lamb's book of life that means that you are a party to a sealed deed the enemy cannot take your family you can say you don't have a right to it I'm redeeming my family because I'm a child I've got an inheritance come on somebody he said to the church I've got a sealed deed and you're a part of it I'm going to leave you to establish my kingdom and my government and where there's a curse you bring a blessing and where there's sickness you bring a healing and where there's oppression you bring freedom. He gave the church dominion and we exercise dominion through prayer and when we pray we least power. God's not going to move in your family till you start to pray. But if you start to pray, it's going to release the power of God into your family. God's not going to release power in your church until you start to pray. But if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, then will I heal their lands. Then will I hear from heaven. God is looking for someone to work with. He's the greater one in you that gives you power in the earth. He wants his will to be done in heaven. As well as in the earth. God tells Elijah I'm going to send rain. Elijah could have gone on vacation. But instead he prays seven times. For something that God said. It was already his will to do. Prayer is the conduit of power. That releases God's will. uh, Through your will into the earth. We have a mandate. To agree with God in prayer. And when we create a place of agreement on earth, it is a place that heaven invades. Say, I want to be a portal. See, now you don't even know why I told you to say that because most of you don't know what a portal is. A portal is a window. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that the heavens were like brass. Over and over and over again. It says the heavens were shut up. They did not give rain in season. And it talks about the heavens being like brass. That was because of disobedience. It was because of sin in the world. But every once in a while, God had a portal. God had a prophet. He had a priest. He had someone that walked with him, even in the Old Testament. And all of a sudden, things happened in their lives and through their ministry because they were portals. You say, Brother Costa, what does that mean? It means windows. God desires for you to be a window by which heaven invades the earth. And when he taught us to pray, he shows us this concept. You say, really? Yeah. The Lord's Prayer, if I asked you to recite it tonight, you would say, our Father who are in heaven, and boy, I wish I could, I wish I had the time to analyze the Lord's Prayer, but let me just pick a few highlights out. It's our Father, it's not my Father. Because our Father forces me to recognize that I've got brothers and sisters, and it's our Father. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. How many of you would say on earth? That's the way I was taught it, too. But it's interesting because I started doing some research in the English Bible. The first English Bible was written in 1382 by a man by the name of John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe wrote the first English Bible in 1382. That doesn't mean the Bible didn't exist before 1382. It means it was translated into English in 1382. And I showed it to Sister Hannah today, and she couldn't even read it. She didn't even know it was English, but it was Old English. And in 1382, John Wycliffe translated the Lord's Prayer to say, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In 1611, the King James Version of the Bible was authorized and written by a group of scholars under the authority of King James. The King James Bible says, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In 1875, Mary Baker Eddy wrote her own Bible based on the King James translation of the Bible. And it said, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. But at the turn of the last century, something interesting happened. In 1928, the Book of Common Prayer was published, and it changed the word in earth to on earth. It was retranslated in the John Moffat translation in 1954, which says on earth. The Phillips translation, 1958, on earth. The New English Bible, 1961, on earth. 1966, good news for the modern man on earth. New American Bible in 1970 on earth. Same year, the Alba House New Testament on earth. 1982, the New King James Version of the Bible on earth the NIV in 1984, the New Jerusalem Bible in 1985, the Life Application Study Bible 1988, 1989 the NRSV, the New Century Version in 1991, the Message in 1993, the Contemporary English Version, 1995, the New Living Translation 96, 2001 Today's NIV, 2001, the English Standard Version, 2000 and for the Holman Christian Standard Bible all say on earth. And that's why when you were taught the Lord's Prayer as a child, you were taught on earth because a modern, and 1928, believe it or not, in terms of the Bible is considered modern. A modern translation of the Bible changed the word in to the word on. But for 1,900 years, it was not so. You say, Brother Costa, who cares? What's the big deal? It means the same thing, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Because the Bible says in Genesis 2 and 7, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the earth. In Genesis 3 and 19, it says... That thou will return to the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. In Genesis 13 and 16, it says, I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. In Jeremiah 22 and 29, it says, O earth, O earth, O earth, hear ye the word of the Lord. I don't think Jeremiah was prophesying to the ground. He was calling you earth. Job 33 and 6, behold I am according to thy wish in God's stead as I am also formed out of the clay. Ecclesiastes 3 and 20, all are of dust and all again turn to dust. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 47 through 49 says the first man, talking about Adam, is of the earth earthy. The second man. Adam, talking about Christ, is the Lord of heaven. As is the earth earthy, such are they also that are of the earth earthy. He's saying, Everybody that identifies with the first man Adam is of the earth earthy. And in verse 49, he says, If you bear the image of the earthy, you can also bear the image of the heavenly. It just depends who you identify with. But when Jesus said, Thy will be done in earth, he wasn't talking about God's will being done in the planet. He was talking about God's will being done in you because you are a portal that opens up heaven to the earth. And when you pray, you are creating a space where heaven can kiss the earth. When you say, not my will be done, but your will be done, heaven is beginning to invade the earth through you. Come on, somebody. And when enough people get the revelation and submit their will to God through prayer, the Bible says the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I've got five minutes. I want to make one more point quickly, if I may. The first thing I want, the last thing I want to talk to you tonight, because it's all that time will allow for on this visit, is the immutability of God. The fact that God never changes. Malachi 3 and 6 says, I change not. The enemy says to us, why pray? Why pray for loved one's salvation? Your prayers won't change God or his actions because God is never changing. See, the enemy wants to distort the scripture or quote half the scripture. The enemy says, why pray if God won't change his mind? It's not that God won't change its mind. It's that he can't change his character. He can't change who he is as a person. And the Bible says that God is a person. It doesn't say ever say that he's persons. But in one place it says that God is a person and that Jesus is the express image of that person. But that's another message altogether. God won't change his character and the reason that he can't change is because he's perfect. If he changed, it would mean that he has room for improvement. That's what Malachi meant when he said the Lord changes not. He didn't mean the Lord doesn't change his mind. He meant that the Lord will never change his character because if he did, it means that he could be greater, that he could be better, that he could be more full of grace. And that's not possible. In the Exodus 32 and 14, it says, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. The word repented means he changed his mind. When did God change his mind? When Moses prayed. Not only does God change his mind, but there's only one time, one thing that provokes God to change his mind, and that's the prayers of the righteous. There was an old prophet that was on his deathbed, and he knew he was going to die, but he didn't want to die. And he prayed, and God changed his mind. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. Tell that to Lazarus, because God changed his mind. Lazarus died twice, his intention. Is to let the wicked reap what they sow. But his law says if there is someone to intercede. That the righteous is more influential with God. Than the unrighteous. So when a righteous man reaps what he sows, he sows prayer and he reaps forgiveness. He sows prayer and he reaps healing. He sows prayer and he reaps miracles. The righteous man reaps to a greater degree than the sinner that reaps the consequences of their actions. Don't tell me God doesn't change his mind. Jonah tells Ninev- Nineveh 40 days and judgment is coming. Nineveh repents and God changes his mind. God says if you change your mind about me, I'll change my mind about you. And even Jonah acknowledged this in Jonah 4.2. He said, Lord, I prayed. I didn't want to go. Because I knew what you were like. He said, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. That means you change your mind. If I were to say to you in closing tonight, not in closing of this service, just in closing of this message, if I were to say to you the well-worn cliche, God is good, and all the time, why should I pray? Because every time I do, he will be a good God. And because he, his character does not change, he will always be a good God. God is good all the time. Amen. The faith of the righteous has more power in heaven's court than the sin of the unrighteous. And I've just come here to tell you if you'll pray right now, God will change his mind about your circumstance and about your situation. You can release power right now for unsaved loved ones, for this community, for healing. He wants you. To release heaven into your environment, your house, your family, your friends. Come on, somebody. Let's gather around this altar while faith is high and while the atmosphere is right. And let's pray. He wants an excuse to show his graciousness, his mercy, that he's slow to anger, that he's got great kindness. He will change his mind. He will change your environment. He will change your life and he'll bring heaven into your earth if you will just but pray. Come on church, pray right now. Pray for those that are enduring the storm. That the Lord would shield them from the storm. That he would redirect the storm. That he would move the storm quickly. Pray right now that someone that is needing an opportunity to be saved would not perish in this storm. Pray for your community in West Palm Beach. You may not be facing the full effect of a hurricane. You might be getting the tail end of it this time. But there is a spiritual storm that is raging in your city. I'm telling you that Jesus is the God that knows how to quiet the storm. He knows how to quiet the storm in our nation. He knows how to quiet the spirit of division. He knows how to quiet the storm in West Palm Beach. He knows how to quiet the storm in your family. He knows how to quiet the storm in your relationships. He knows how to quiet the storm in your finances. He knows how to quiet the storm in your health. Come on, somebody, right now. Pray and see God change his mind. Be a window of heaven and let heaven invade the earth until his glory covers the earth. Like the waters do the sea Come on, lift your voice and your heart right now And let's talk to God in this place
1: Come on, that's it, I feel a releasing I feel a releasing, a releasing, a releasing I feel a releasing of your prayer it's different tonight. We're not praying to take in. We're not praying to absorb. We're releasing. We're releasing. We're releasing tonight. We're a window wherein the power of God is flowing through. We are a portal wherein the glory of God is flowing through. <laughs> Woo! Woo! I want you to see yourself as you pray. I want you to see the Spirit of God flowing through you, making its way towards that need. I want you to see you as that window flowing through you. Come on. That window where the Spirit of God is moving mightily, moving mightily. <laughs> As I pray for my lost loved ones, I see the power of God. I see the power of God flowing through me, going to them, feeling the earth with His glory, feeling their house with His glory, wherever they may be. My God, that young man may be in a ballroom. That young man, that young woman may be in a a harlot's house. But I'm telling you, God can flow through you. We are portals tonight. Our prayers are expressions of power and anointing and authority. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, we're not praying to receive tonight. We've done that enough. It's not about us. We're not praying to receive. We are a portal. We are a window. We're letting God flow through us. We're letting God move through us upon uh, situations, uh, upon this community, upon our city. My Lord, can't you feel it? Can't you feel it? The Lord has united us here tonight. He has brought us together. We have become one big window. We have become a portal. The power of God is flowing from heaven, making its way through the prayers of this church, through the souls of this church, into this city, upon our families. Woo! God, upon the finances of this church. Oh, yes, he's moving right now upon that land he's going to give us, upon that building he's going to give us, flowing through us towards it. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Come on, prayer warriors. Come on. Let that glory flow. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Let the Holy Ghost move through you. Let his power flow through you. From out of our innermost beings, the glory of God is flowing. The power of God is moving. Woo! My Lord, there are things happening right now. We can't see them with a the natural eye. But I'm telling you, the glory of God is going to and fro. He's moving across this city, moving across this country, moving even throughout this world. While you pray in the spirit, who knows what the Lord is using you for right now? There could be a need in another country. It could be in Africa. It could be in Europe. And God has opened the window of your soul. And now you have allowed him to flow through. And he's making his way upon that need. And the prayer is being answered because you have become a portal. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. My God, why we pray, God is putting somebody on your mind. God is putting something on your mind. I'm telling you, He's put it there for a reason. Because He's flowing through you right now. You will become that window. You will become that portal that the Spirit of God is about to invade their life. He's about to invade their circumstances. He's about to invade that situation as He flows through you through your soul, through your prayer. Come on, release that authority you have. Release that authority that you have. That authority God has given man over the earth. That authority God has given us over power. The power that worketh in us. The power that worketh in us. Come on, somebody release it. Somebody release it. Release that power. Let it go. Let it out. Let it flow. Let it move. I release it, God. I release it. I release it. Sweet Holy Ghost. I release it. I let it go. I let it flow. Thank you for this revelation tonight, God. Thank you for your word. Look what He's doing. Look what you're feeling. Look at the strength that you feel. Look at the anointing that is upon you. Why? Because I'm not holding it in anymore. My window's no longer shut. I'm no longer just letting it come in, sealing it in. Oh no, I become a portal. I become an open window and the power of God is flowing. Oh, my God, something's being released. Something's being released. It's tearing through this atmosphere it's ripping it's ripping to shreds the work of the adversary it's ripping to shreds the power of the enemy i'm telling you there's a window that has been opened come on that's it let it flow let it flow like a river let it flow like a river feel the energy that god has given you Feel the power, feel the anointing, feel the strength that God is flowing through you with. Let it flow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Almighty God. Thank you, Almighty God. Thank you, Almighty God. Thank you, Father. Love you, Lord. Love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. I want you to turn to someone near you. Lay your hand on their shoulder, their chest, whatever is whatever is good, whatever is right. And I want you to pray into the life right now. Just pray into one another's life. You don't have to speak a need, just pray into one another's life. Let the window open up in you and let it flow into them. Come on, pray into one another. Pray out of you into them, pray out of you into them. Pray out of you into them, pray out of you into them. Pray into them. Come on, pray into them. Let God flow through you. Let God flow through you into their life let that anointing flow through you into their life ma oh yes oh yes feel it feel it feel it Jesus. Mmm. Ha, <laughs> Jesus. 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 Oh. I'm going to tell you what we're going to take home tonight. Oh my, what a power in this place. What a releasing that has taken place here tonight. What a releasing. That the next time I pray for a loved one, It's not going to be me standing here praying for them wherever they may be. But it's going to be me recognizing I am a window for God to flow through. And that when I pray over them it's not just oh not just me and God. Oh God, oh God, oh God. No. When I pray over them, it's it's me opening up the window, letting God flow through me and going right where they are. Young people, when you pray for your high school or your college, you stand in your room or wherever it may be and you open your mouth and you begin to pray, you need to see God flowing through you and going across that campus. You pray for your job. You need to see God flowing through you and going across that workplace. You pray for situations in your life or loved ones or marriage or or, or children or finances or health. You need to see God. We need to see God flowing through us and covering that situation. Covering it with His Spirit. Releasing this out of us. That God has put in us the power that worketh within. Everybody say us. The power that worketh within. Amen. What a beautiful prayer meeting. I know God has done great things tonight. I know I'm the Scrooge and shutting it down. But that's why I make you pray for a building. So we could go to midnight. Thank you for coming on Wednesday night. Brother Costa, what a message. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the word. Amen. Take this home with you. You pray for people. You know God's flowing through you to them, through you, over a situation, through you, over a circumstance, through you, into someone's life. I love you. God bless you. You're the best on earth. I'll see you in the morning. I know he preached against morning prayer. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'll see you in the morning at 6.30 on the prayer line. You know what pastor teaches here, right? Your morning is when you wake up. That is your morning. However, tomorrow it's 6.30 on the prayer line.